weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show, Talk Radio 77 WABC. Come join the Joan Hamburg Show Sunday at 2 o'clock. I've got a surprise for me. I've got my son, John Hamburg, whose new movie, Netflix, is doing. The movie's coming out in a week or two, and John was in New York, and I said, come on. You never come visit me on the air, so you're going to meet my son, John Hamburg. You're going to get a look at what some people say, the last movie stars, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. And we've got lots more, so I'm excited. Sunday at 2 o'clock, Joan Hamburg and star-studded guests, come on and join me. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. I get a lot of questions on the Hamptons. We're going out. We don't know where to eat. If we only have a day or two, what what should we do? And there are plenty of great restaurants in the Hamptons. The weekends are a zoo. So come out, enjoy it, but try to come out during the week, early in the week, uh, uh, let me give you a couple of thoughts that everyone loves. Fauna, F-A-U-N-A, and it was owned by Chef Star Boggs, and it was considered the most high-end restaurant in West Hampton. But after he passed away this past year, Root Hospitality, which has some big restaurants in Hampton Bays, took over. It's got a new American menu. It's called Fauna. It's at 6 Parlato Drive, in West Hampton, and also Relay and Chateau chef, Alfred Ralph, who ran the kitchen at Maggie Homestead, that's way out west, will bring a Mediterranean menu to a uh, canoe place. And Crash Katina, an open-air Latin American restaurant, the famous lobster roll, which has been in Napeak has been referred to as lunch because its outdoor signage was so iconic and it's opened a new location in what was Southampton's Princess Diner and they are famous for their hot and cold versions of the lobster roll sandwich and they also have delicious fried clams, crab cakes. It's on 32 Montauk Highway in Southampton and well, there are so many. Dopo El Ponte is a Sag Harbor, East Hampton restaurant with a lot of tough to score tables, but you're going to like it. And he took over a very popular restaurant in Bridgehampton called World Pie, which closed. They, apparently, they're all saying it's gently priced. The Hamptons are weird. It's expensive, but the food has been delicious. And Tudo Cafe is also a lovely, relaxed cafe. They have coffee, pastries in the morning, salad, seafoods in the afternoon and evening, wine by the glass on Main Street in East Hampton, and Sunset Harbor on Three Mile Harbor Hog Creek Road is a place in East Hampton you want to try. Little Ruby's in Montauk. Again, worth trying. Rooted Cafe, Roberta's, The Tavern. I'm just getting your little feet wet 
so you can get started. And I always find a lot of information in either New York, and they update their Hamptons list a lot. So don't forget to check it out and enjoy. Where to eat, plenty of choices. I'm Joan Hamburg. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. There's a wonderful documentary out that you are all going to enjoy. The Last Movie Stars. It's six parts. It's from CNN Films and HBO Max. And it talks about Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. It talks about their marriage, their kids, their careers, everything you can think about. Ethan Hawke was the director, Emily Wachtel, producer, screenwriter, and she originated and produced The Last Movie Stars, and it's getting a lot of conversation and a lot of press. So welcome to you, Emily. Thank you, thank you. And you've had a very big career doing a lot of very important documentaries, but I'm curious, with everything you've done, where did you come to Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward? Were they family? Were they friends? Yes, I grew up with their daughter, Clea Newman, who is my best friend to date. Um, and we, they had three girls, we had three girls, and... You know, I when I first met them, obviously, I at two years old, I didn't know they were actors, but uh, I had I I'm you know my I feel like my taste and definitely being a filmmaker is absolutely because of them. They're just wonderful people. But anyway, in '015, I had finished a film. Just to answer your question, and um, I looked at my now husband and just said is no one going to do anything about this? I didn't want their legacy to just go away. I wanted the world to still know about them. And they had done so many for so many people, not just artistically, but philanthropically and friendly, you know, friend-wise. It just seemed impossible to me that they'd be forgotten. And quite frankly, when I started, you know, it's a seven-year project and, when I started pitching, no one was interested. I started just doing it on Joanne, but it was impossible to separate them because they were together for 50 years. So you couldn't really speak about Joanne without speaking about Paul. Right. And you did it. And you know what? It is really interesting because when I first heard about this, I passed it by a lot of the kids at work. You know, everyone is very young yeah. there. Yeah. And some of them didn't even know right. who they were. You, you know, no, it was like, how could that be possible? Right, right. You because know, they were such part of our lives, many yeah. of us. Yeah, I mean, they were part of the fabric of America. I mean, one one thing, you know, our wonderful director, Ethan Hawke, said that I, I think about all the time is he said just studying him and the two years he did, it was like being in the last 50 years of America. I mean, they were at the March on Washington, you know? Mm. And uh, they were just so involved in everything. And, you know, watching and reading, 
it's based on interviews that Paul Newman commissioned, but then he and he had wonderful Sidney Lumet, yeah. right? Pollock, Gore Vidal, Robert Wise, Ilya Kazan, the best. You know, yeah, the best of the best. And I, the the the, the interesting thing about that was that I had started the film and there were rumors that those transcripts had been burned um, around the family because Paul just sort of dropped doing the book. And I went into the laundry room looking for something else in their house in Connecticut. And there was a locked file cabinet. And I said to to a friend I was with, I said, "We, we need to get a locksmith. So we got a locksmith and opened the drawers, and there were these 14,000 pages of all these interviews. So I spent the entire pandemic reading. Reading. <laughs> yeah, reading and giving them to Ethan, you know. I know, and it, and it really is all unbelievable, because yeah. who knew that there was this treasure, that there were all these interviews because everyone thought that a Newman had burned them and destroyed everything. Yeah, yeah. We we thought they must. We weren't sure if they were around, but it was it was sort of folklore. I can't explain it, but it was. Are they here? Are they not here? Um, and the the guy Stuart Stern, who actually wrote Rebel Without a Cause and, and Rachel Rachel, among other things, was a dear friend of the families who I also grew up with. And it's, I feel like this is wonderful for him as well, because it never happened, and he put so much, you know, blood, sweat, and tears into it. I mean, it's so detailed. It was, but but it, regardless, I spent the entire pandemic reading, and it was well, a lot of look, fun. <laughs> look how much. Well, how many pages did you 14, read? Fourteen thousand. Oh Fourteen thousand all in. Wow. And for those of us watching. And being involved in this, who knew? You know, you think you know everything. Movie stars, popular, the golden age. Yeah. And um, we knew nothing about them and really about their relationship. And I d- d- didn't know even the beginnings. They met what? In, um, they were cast as understudies together. In Picnic, yeah, in 1953. 53, 54, they were understudies in Picnic while Joanne was still, you know, was attending the Neighborhood Playhouse School of the Theater. And they met, and she taught him how to dance. Not to be metaphorical, but they kept on dancing. And he was married with a family. He was married. He was married. That is true. That is true. So did the kids cooperate with you? Most of them, most of them, almost all of them participated. Uh, the Woodward Newman kids did, um, and one of the daughters from his previous marriage, Stephanie, who was thrilled with it, um, participated as well. Which is great. And, yeah. of course, you learn as you watch and hear all this that he credits Joanne with what happened to him. That yeah. And was, did that surprise you growing up with them? No, in that household, you knew that Joanne was the star. If you hung around she there. She was, right, I in the beginning. Was, yeah, she was in the beginning. She had won an Academy Award but you know, when she was 26. 
she told us all kinds of stories when we were growing up about Marlon Brando and James Dean. I mean, when I think about it, it's amazing. And it, but in that household, you knew that she was the better artist, and uh, it was clear. And also, I don't know if you met them. I'm sure you did somewhere along your travels. Right. But he was incredibly gracious and um, charming and and generous. And and um, there was an interview that Ethan did with Martin Scorsese where. Scorsese said, you know, Paul found the opportunity in Joanne's talent to develop himself into a better artist. And I found that, you know, true. And yet she had in the beginning the most exciting career, but she also was a mother to six kids, a job she took very seriously. And a good mother. I mean, she made us all sweaters. She sent postcards to camp. I mean... She says she she always, as all mothers do, she felt she wasn't good enough, but she was a wonderful mother to, to all, to many. But, you know, I was surprised when I saw and went through all this, Emily, that the children really wanted this so that their parents' whole life and legacy wouldn't be pushed away somewhere and not made what it should be. Yeah. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I'm the, the biggest relief is that the, the children are really happy with it. Um, the ones that participated because it, it, that was my big fear is that, Oh gosh, they're not going to like it, you know? And, and just last week, Lissy Newman said, you know, the movie does everything we wanted it to. So in that way, you know, and it's not all, you can't have, you know, light without darkness, as Ethan always said. And and I think a, a lot of actors have been responding to the film in a big way. I mean, uh, Hugh Jackman just did a, a thing on Instagram, a a, ta- a video. Um, Ryan Reynolds is talking. I, I think it's hitting home for a lot of people. I hope it does for younger people as well. Right, but, and the reality that they obviously loved each other, but they fought, they had issues like all human yeah. beings, and yeah. his right marriage isn't for the faint of heart. No, they were they were real people, you know? I know. And was once once you started, was yeah. it hard to get all the material that you needed, all the interviews that played a role? Well, you know, five years into it, because you spend a lot of time when you're making a film. I had, you know, great other putting together the team, Lisa Long Adler, Adam Gibbs. You know, we had to get the editor, Barry Polterman, is a big part of it, wonderful, the music, raising money. And then Ethan, and Ethan, when he started reading the interviews, thought of it as a play because he's an actor. And, mm-hmm. well, I don't know if that's why he thought of it, but he started, you know, he had a vision and he he put together. You're talking about the other actors like Laura Linney, um, major and, stars. Yeah, yeah. He 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 started as you know Sam Rockwell. Um, they they sort of just started coming together. He asked his friends, and then there were other people that were friends of the Newmans as well that that sort of gravitated toward the project, which was very. There was a lot of goodwill behind it. Don't. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. There was so much goodwill, and I, 
last night I, I was thinking about it, and I, I, I'm, I'm sort of floored by the success because, honestly, again, nobody wanted it. You know, they said, well, maybe 10 years ago. And we were very lucky that we found Ethan when we did, which was five years into it, and I was having trouble finding And he had the passion and the interest. And he loved them. He, he, he Well, he, he became a student of them, mm-hmm. and... You know, he and and Ryan Hawk, who produced alongside with him, they really gave everything. I mean, Clay and Newman and I said we're just so happy they didn't quit because it is such a big story. Also, it was going to be a 90-minute documentary, remember. But he felt the way that I did, which was 90 minutes on the Newmans is like a trailer. I mean, we're getting calls. I'm getting calls now saying when's the next season. How interesting. There's so much archival material. There's so many wonderful pictures, and it's they're beautiful, really. It, sh- it could be a museum, you know, of stuff. Because they kept, Joanne was so meticulous. She kept everything, you know, from locks of hair, the babies, to, you know, playbills, everything. Yeah, and she was so gifted. And it's interesting that she talks about what she gave up despite the fact she was such a good mother and adored all the children, including his. And the kids did not seem to resent her, his, even though they had a mother. No, they were quite close with her. It was impossible. You know, if Joanne turned her sights on you, her charm on you, it was impossible. There was no one like her, really. I mean, she's still alive, so, you know, she still has that thing. I visit her. I, I'm going to visit her today, you know. How is she? She's okay. I mean, she's 92, so all things considered, you know, the loss of fall and all that. I mean, she's 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 in there. I'm, I'm actually delivering uh, the DVDs of the documentary to her house today for her because she does not have HBO Max. That's funny. I know. Yeah. But she's okay and doing well, and I take it the children are devoted to her. Yeah, of course. You know, and grandchildren who are also in the film, which is nice. Yeah, and were the kids happy with the film? They're so happy with the film, which is really, uh, to me anyway, uh, with my relationship to them was my big concern, you know. And they, they are. They are thrilled with it, which is really nice. And and also, it's bringing the Newmans back in the conversation. You know, these great, generous, you know, talented people from before the media, you know, before Instagram and Snapchat and all that stuff, who just were genuine and gave to people. You know, and I, I hope that inspires others, really. I'm sure. Would you say after all is said and done, that this series is about what could be a classic Hollywood couple, or were they unique in their holding on to each other through good and bad all those years? I think think it's a love story, but a real love story. I I would call it an organic love story. That's because interesting. It's real, you know. That's interesting. Because how many years were they married? Fifty. Wow. They Forever. had their 
20th wedding anniversary party right before, I guess it was, oh, yeah, it was 08, right before all passed. And, yeah, so it was, they celebrated that together, which is nice. Right, but it's, and it's so unusual to have two, first of all, major stars, both extraordinary performers who are married to each other, who have the six kids, and spend an inordinate amount of time with them and keeping their lives intact. I wonder if they thought that they could keep private everything that went on in their lives. You mean if... uh, Well, he kept the transcript. So I... And at one point... When I was reading his, it, he did say, I have a feeling this will find the light of day. Mm-hmm. So I don't know the answer to that question, I guess. I mean, I think, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that it's out there and I'm thrilled with the response. And that the children really wanted it because yeah. a lot of times that doesn't happen. You know, they want, yeah. they don't want the laundry shown. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ethan was very sensitive. You know, he's he's quite the meteor of a person and has a seismic talent, obviously, and has tons of experience. And I think he had a sensitivity in dealing with them that made them want it all to happen. You know, we didn't know. I mean, Joan, we didn't know that it would be received like this. I mean, no one knew. Ethan even said to me in Cannes, because we went to Cannes with it, which was on, we got a standing ovation. And and he said, you know, it's interesting how you have these projects, because obviously he's had so many. And you put everything in it, and some of them hit, and some of them don't, and you don't know why. It's just, for whatever reason, the stars lined up. But I think the organic quality to their love story is touching a nerve with people. Seems yes. to be. And people who didn't even know because that was a different time. Yeah. It's absolutely eye-opening, not only about marriage and life, but about two of the great actors and movie stars. I'm talking to Emily Wachtel, who is the producer-originator of The Last Movie Stars, and it's absolutely eye-opening. So now that you're all finished with this, Emily, and it's been getting a great response, what are you working on? Well, I have a bunch of projects going, as, as we all always do, but I, I, we actually have a book also because there was so much material um, that will be coming out in October called The Extraordinary Life of an Ordinary Man, which is Paul's biography just on him, you know, his childhood. And uh-huh. so there's that. That's fantastic. So you've got a busy whatever ahead. Yeah, very busy. And this is going strong. Yeah. yeah, it's going great guns. We just were invited to Rome. But I have to tell you, my mother is a huge fan of yours, and I've listened to you my Thanks. entire childhood in the car all the time. She is going to be thrilled. Well, say hello to your mom and thanks for this, the last movie stars. Thank you, know, you so for, much. You know, for people who grew up with this, yeah. they were idols. Yeah. And still are. Yeah.
And it's yeah. sort of shocking when people say, who is that? It's like I remember in one of my first jobs, I mentioned Elizabeth Taylor and a bunch of the kids who were working there looked at me like I was crazy. Who's that? Yeah. Like, how I could mean, you not I, know that? I know. It's it's crazy. There yeah. was a very funny story, not a funny story, but a story about when Paul was shooting Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with Elizabeth Taylor and the director, who was Richard Brooks, um, it made Paul go visit her, Elizabeth. And, you know, she had just lost her husband, died in the middle of shooting. He went down in a plane crash. And so poor Paul, who was super shy, went in and said, you know, I'm so sorry. It must have been his time or whatever the director told nice. him to say. Nice. She started throwing things at him. Said, get oh out, get out. <laughs> he was like, I didn't even, he didn't even want to go. So that, there were things like that in the transcripts, you know, that would, uh, that I would, and you would love to read, you know. No, uh, it was dozens of interviews yeah. with friends oh, yeah. and directors and, and the inside stuff that no one would ever know. No, no. So, well, you did a great job, and thank, thank you, you so for much. bringing so it to happy. us. We had a super team, and I'm so thrilled I got to talk to you, and thank you, and tell everyone you know to watch The Last Movie Stars. Absolutely, and hello to your mom. We'll talk again. Okay, Okay, I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WAVC, and The Last Movie Stars is yours now. It's a wonderful portrait of marriage, of careers, of life, really at a different time, and what it takes to hang in there. It's really something. Enjoy, everyone. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. Talk Radio 77, WABC. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm Joan Hamburg, and I know you've met a lot of members of my family over the years. But you know what? I was trying to recall, did you ever meet my son? He lives in L.A., which may be why those of you at our market are not that familiar with him in person. But he's a writer-director. It's interesting because our family had nothing to do with the entertainment world. And we have two movie kids who are doing great. And I often wonder, where where did that come from? But John Hamburg is in New York with his family. And I wanted you all to meet him. He's got a brand-new movie, which is sort of coming out any minute. I'm going to let him tell you. And the funny thing is, I looked up my own son, and it brought back all these memories when he did a short film in 96 called Tick. And there were so many young actors in that, and they all grew up to be famous stars. Who was in Tick to you? Of course, I'm sure you recall. (laughs) Um, hi, Mom. Yeah, well, Tick was my short film. That was my friend Mike Showalter, who went on to direct a lot of movies and act in a lot of movies. But say, you may be thinking of my first movie, Safe Men, which starred Sam Rockwell, who won an Oscar, Mark Ruffalo, who's in all the Avengers movies, Paul Giamatti, uh, Steve Zahn, 
who's on the White Lotus, uh, and Christina Kirk, who is uh, my wife and the mother yeah, of your was, granddaughter, Stella. <laughs> that's right. That was a good thing. She's a working actor as well. So many others, too. So, and Harvey Firestein was in the movie, too. He always reminds me. But then how did Meet the Parents come around, which was huge, and become a legend? Well, um, Meet the Parents, which I co-wrote, came around because I had met Ben Stiller at the Nantucket Film Festival where they were screening Safe Men, my first feature film that I wrote and directed. And Ben Stiller just randomly saw the movie. It was playing at the festival, which wasn't a big festival at the time. And um, and he he just loved the movie. And we met that weekend up on Nantucket and started talking about working together. And... Um, first, we worked a little bit on the script for the movie Zoolander, which then took a pause and, and ended up coming out after Meet the Parents. But then he was, you know, engaging in this movie Meet the Parents and thought that I could be helpful in terms of revising the script and, you know, brought me in to meet with the director and producers. They had no idea who I was. I was sort of, you know, very wet behind the ears and up and comer. And oh, I ended up getting the job to work on it. And, um, you know, it was a great experience for me. And, and the movie uh, turned out, you know, turned out well somehow. And, and um, you know, it became a big hit. And that, that helped my career a lot, for sure. So I, and, I really have Ben Stiller to thank for his early support. Right. And, and a lot of great movies. I love you, man. And it's interesting because when people talk to me about your movies, Right up at the very top is Along Came Polly. People still think that's one of the funniest movies they've ever seen. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that was, we made that. That was Ben Stiller, Jennifer Aniston, uh, the late Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Alec Baldwin, you know, um, Hank Azaria, great cast. And yeah, that was my first kind of big studio movie as a director. You know, I'd written, co-written, you know, Meet the Parents and Zoolander. But um, Along Came Polly was my first one as a, as a dire- writer-director. And uh, it was, you know, you never know. What, and it, at the time, I mean, I keep, I always tell you, don't pay attention to reviews, Mom, because I know you get very upset when critics don't uh, like are negative about these movies. But, you know, critics with comedies tend to, they tend to not be as positive. And, you know, that movie got terrible reviews, but we felt like we had made something really funny. We had screened it with so many audiences. and. It's been really gratifying that it's kind of stood the test of time. So, it, it, yeah. you know, you never know. You just have I to know, but I take thing. it personally. Uh, is... I don't. So. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would have no career if I paid attention to critics. <laughs> but thankfully, I, I make these movies for audiences. And it, so far, it's going okay. And, and they love it. But let's talk about the new movie. Yep. So the new movie is called Me Time. It stars Kevin Hart. Um, Mark Wahlberg and Regina Hall, uh, who's a great actress who co-hosted the Oscars, the very uh, uh, controversy-free Oscars this year. Um, And uh, it's a movie I wrote, directed, and produced. It's going to come out on Netflix a week from Friday. And, you know, it's basically about something I think we can all relate to, and especially coming out of this pandemic, which is the idea of having time to yourself. And, And the story... Kevin Hart plays a stay-at-home dad. His wife, played by Regina Hall, is this uh, superstar architect who's always working and traveling, and he's the one holding down the home front. And she's sort of feeling disconnected from her kids, who are 10 and 5, 
and wants to take them away uh, for spring break by herself to visit her parents. And so Kevin finds himself basically alone in his own house for the first time in a decade. <laughs> so, um, and he, you know, he doesn't know what to do because when you're used to having your family around or, you know, whether you have a family or not, most of us don't have a lot of time to ourselves. And he, uh, he really tries and fails at, at spending some me time. And then he ends up kind of reluctantly um, calling his former best friend, played by Mark Wahlberg, who's taken a different path in life. He's a 40-something bachelor who, you know, everyone else has gotten married and had kids and this and that. And he, the only people he can still hang out with, uh, you know, at 3 a.m. on a Wednesday night are a bunch of 23-year-olds. So he joins Mark on a, you know, and ends up on a wild weekend that kind of, upends Kevin's life. And was he fun to work with? Yeah, both Kevin Hart, Regina, and Mark Wahlberg, a lot of fun. I mean, Kevin is one of the funniest people you'll ever meet. You know, obviously, he's probably the biggest stand-up comedian on the planet and and one of the biggest, you know, movie stars on the planet. And he's just also, he loves it. He's just a fun uh energetic, committed guy. He's nice to everyone. You, he, you, I've never met anybody who works as hard as he does um, nonstop. And, uh, and he's, you know, he's just kind of, he's inspirational because he, he never stops. You know, he doesn't rest on his laurels and he's got a million things going on. And, but when you get him on set, he's focused and, and as funny as anyone. You know, I've worked with a lot of very, very talented, funny people throughout my career. And he's um, he's as funny and as talented as any of them. And you know what I find surprising too, even though you know I sort of watch you and your cousin and people in in the business. How long it takes to make a movie? People don't get it. It's a big deal. Yeah, it takes a long time. I mean, especially as a writer director. You know, I have friends who are directors, or our cousin Doug Lyman is a director, and he's he's made way more movies than me because he can find a script and jump onto it. You know, for me as a writer director, I have to generally come up with the idea or something sparks the idea or it's a script that I end up rewriting. So, you know, that takes a long time. That can take months to years to, to find the idea and write the script. And then making the movie takes about a year, you know, and then, um, so it's, it's like a, at least a two-year process, and often it can be longer, on and off. So now that this movie is about to come out, do you have to immediately try to find out what the next project is, or do you give yourself a break? <laughs> no, I mean, I, no, I, I think about next. Well, I have an animated movie that I'm co-writing um, and producing for Netflix that I'm going to jump into uh, in the fall. And then, yeah, no, I mean, I'm always thinking about the next thing because, you know, you just want to keep keep doing your thing, you know. So I, I'm playing around with some ideas. I have one idea I've been playing around. You know, you sort of think about ideas or read scripts or read source material books, articles, and see what sticks, you know. And if something sticks in my head, uh, that usually is a, is a sign that, that maybe it would be a good project for me to engage with. So I, I have a new idea I'm, I'm noodling around that, um, that seems to be sticking so far. So I'll probably, you know, see that one through and, and see what comes of it. All right. And the world of movies has changed dramatically. 
and it, probably right will never be the same again, or will it? it no, it has changed. I mean, I feel very fortunate that, that I got to make movies in an era where people went to movie theaters to see right. the kinds of movies that I make, to see comedies. Um, you know, nowadays you get the occasional breakout, you know, movie that people go see in theaters that's not a big superhero movie or a big animated movie. But for the most part, so many movies go straight to streaming. And, you know, it's a little something is lost for sure because there's something very magical about we all remember going to a dark theater and, you know, the everyone laughing. and you start to get excited. Yeah, everybody laughing communally. I mean, we still test screen our movies in theaters to to hear where the laughs are and fine-tune them, and that's really fun and exciting and stressful. But, you know, then, yeah, then this movie's going to be on Netflix, and the, the, the great thing is, though, even though the movie going has changed, you know, streamers like Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and, and others, they have... People still like these kind of movies, so they've given um, space for these movies to get made. It's just that people aren't going as much to movie theaters to see them. So for me, I feel fortunate that there are places like Netflix, you know, where I can still make my kinds of movies. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I feel like if people, you know, a lot of times people end up seeing my movies at home, and that's where they really gain in popularity, so I'm, I think it's okay. You're sitting at home on a on a Friday night, and you turn on and see Kevin Hart and Mark Wahlberg, you know, in a comedy that doesn't take itself too seriously, and you forget about the world for a couple hours. To me, that I'm I'm great with that. But you know, I'm curious because you had said even years ago that when you write comedies, there's nothing like collective laughter. You know, people yeah. just laughing together and enjoying it. So does sitting on that couch in your pajamas have a negative impact on comedies or people have adjusted to it? I think people have adjusted to it. I mean, yes, there's no, nothing beats 400 people in a movie theater laughing, for sure. That, that, is, that is special and I've been a part of that. Or it can be painful when you want them to laugh and they're not laughing too. So, but, but if you're making them laugh, uh, in a movie theater, there's almost nothing better as a comedy filmmaker. But having said that, like take a movie like Zoolander, which we did with Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson and uh, Will Ferrell and many others. You know, that movie was not a big hit in the theaters. And it, it came out, you know, only a few weeks after the tragedy of 9-11. And I, people just, you know, were not quite ready it. to. Yeah. And, and also that movie is not for everyone. It's kind of, you know, you have to kind of get into it. And that movie has become one of our most popular movies on home video and on TV and people watching at home. And so, yes, you're not all laughing together in the theater, but you're picking up on things at home that you may not experience in the theater. So it, it, it's, it's just different. I don't think one's better or worse um, it's different. And, you know, you were talking about Along Came Polly. That did very well in the theaters, but, you know, has had an afterlife um, at home. You know, same with I Love You, Man, or, or Why Him, or some of these other movies. Well, I'm all excited about Me Time, about to be released. Congratulations. Thank you, Johnny. Thanks, and Mom. We'll talk to you again very soon. Say hello to okay. everyone. 
I'm Joan Hamburg. You met my son, John Hamburg. New movie, Me Time. Netflix is the the parent behind this, and it's going to be out. You can all see it within the next couple of weeks. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. More to come. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. You know, I have listeners who always ask me whatever is bothering them. And we've been getting a lot of calls about the big tennis event comes to our town every year, the U.S. Open. And they have fan weeks. They have all kinds of stuff. And you, yes, you can attend any of the events. And at fan week... Most of the events are free. This is, as you know, the biggest pro tennis event in the country. And one of the four Grand Slams, returning to Flushing Meadows Corona Park on August 29th and runs until September 11th. And prior to the big event, the U.S. Open Fan Week returns after a U.S., well, not a U.S., but a, a hiatus because of covid And the Fan Week starts August 23rd and runs through August 28th. So you're a tennis fan. It's a great event and a lot of fun. With all the fuss about Serena Williams' retirement, tickets to a lot of events have been sold out. So just keep that in mind. The matches start on Monday, August 29th, with men and women's first-round matches the schedule of players isn't known yet, but because of Williams, the fans are rushing to buy tickets. And the Post said, the newspaper, fans are gobbling up tickets to the U.S. Open. And since people have heard about Serena Williams' retirement, oh my gosh, they have sold literally 13,000 tickets early on to the open and leaving a couple for opening nights. And while tickets for the Arthur Ashe Stadium upper deck on opening Monday night of the tournament can retail for $35, there are people trying to sell these tickets for 7000 on the Ticketmaster resale site. So I leave it up to you, but the prices were high when I checked. They were between four ninety nine and five thousand one hundred ninety seven for resale tickets, and right now on the U.S. Open website, all the U.S. Open ticket plans are sold out. But there are individual sessions, and you can get round men's, women's tickets starting at ninety five. So check it out. You can always attend Fan Week. Free admission to the grounds to witness the qualifying tournaments. You'll see practice. It's a lot of fun, and we love it. And they have a Kids' Day, Arthur Ashe Kids' Day, on August 27th. So it's popular. It's fabulous. We love it. And don't worry, you'll never go hungry. Lots of food options. They have a food village, and you can get anything from a taco to ice cream to Hill Country Barbecue. If you want information, directions to one of the great events, the U.S. Open and Fan Week, go to www.usopen.org. 